All right. Welcome again, everyone. Good to see everyone here. Uh, we're going to continue, I'm going to continue, talking about the book of Acts, which, as I've said before, is the fifth book in the New Testament. It picks up where the Gospels left off. So Jesus has ascended to the Father, and now the disciples and the apostles, and they're all gathering together in Jerusalem. And the early church is taking off. So what's going to happen now? Well, that's where we are today, right? It says the disciples are in Jerusalem, and they're doing signs and wonders. And people are coming out in big crowds to see the signs and wonders. And people are becoming, uh, they hadn't called it Christian yet. They were just people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But there are these people sort of converting, I guess you could say. They were joining the movement. And so they had this crowd. And apparently, and, and this seems to be backed up throughout a lot of the early church, is that the early Christian church was really good at drawing in people who were kind of on the outs. And one of the groups that was always financially on the outs was widows. So if your husband didn't leave you a big inheritance, you were kind of out of luck, right? You had to hope your family would take you in. But it seems that a lot of widows joined the early Christian church. And the widows who joined, there were some who were, would have been from around Israel. They would have spoken Hebrew, Aramaic, but in the Roman Empire, there were Jews all over the empire. And so it seems that a whole bunch of these Jews who were speaking Greek also came to Jerusalem, saw the signs and wonders, heard the word, and also joined this movement. So the early church now has uh, both these Hebrew speakers and these Greek speakers. And they've got this sort of bilingual community thing they're trying to build. Uh, the Greek speakers are called Hellenists. So as you're reading through and they said the Hellenists, Hellas is what Greeks call Greece. Uh, and so, so they got to figure out what to do, what to do, what to do. All these converts, great problem. Most of them don't have jobs and need food. What do we do? They pooled their resources and created a community food bank. And so they would have a daily distribution of food. And... They even called it waiting on tables. So it, they, must have, they must have somehow gotten a setup where they at least had a house so that people didn't have to just stand there and hold out their hands. Uh, they had tables for them, but they had, and they told us they did this community food bank. And the disciples, being human, leaned towards the people who they were more comfortable and used to, which was the Hebrew speakers. So as they would distribute the food, they tended, apparently, to give the first food to the Hebrew speakers and not pay as much attention to the Greek-speaking widows. And so then the Greek-speaking converts spoke up and said, hey, our widows are getting shafted in the food distribution. This isn't fair. Now, I don't think the disciples set out to, buy, to, to give more to one than the other. It's that sort of bias you have where you always want to hang out with people who are more comfortable than you. It's kind of what happens on Sundays after worship a lot, right? Everybody goes and you, you catch up with your friends and hang out with your friends and the new people are sitting there going, well, this is a friendly place, right? And nobody's trying to not say hello. We just do what we automatically do, which is we go towards people that we're more comfortable with. And I think that's what was happening with the disciples. They were just leaning in where it was more comfortable with the people they knew. And so the Greek speakers say, hey, what about our widows? What are you going to do? And this is sort of the, 
they had to go through the struggle that any sort of church that tries to be multilingual, multicultural, multi-ethnic is that you're always sort of stopping and rethinking, you know, wait, am I, am I you know, leaning too much, too much this way versus another because of my own bias? You spend a lot of time doing that whenever you try to build a diverse community. So then, okay, then the disciples sit down and they say, all right, we're clearly going to have to increase the amount of time we devote to food distribution if we're going to make sure all the widows get enough food. And so to do that, they had to make some hard decisions about budgeting their time. And this decision right here is, is I would say, maybe even one of the most pivotal decisions, maybe like a, a hinge moment in the growth of Christianity. Most of us don't think of this moment, this moment as the big moment. But this, this moment could have gone a couple ways, and it made all the difference in the world. In one way, the original 12, plus their friends, so maybe 20, whatever, sat and said, you know what, we can't neglect the food drive. We are going to just budget our time. We'll spend less time in preaching and teaching and signs and wonders, and we'll just devote ourselves to this food drive and get it all done. If they would have done that, you sort of think about what would have happened. Well, all the widows would have been happy. All the members of the new church would have been happy. But would it have grown? Where would the new people have heard the word? They probably wouldn't have. And so Christianity would have been a happy little group. And then they would have all gotten old eventually. And that would have been the end of it. It would have just fizzled out. Instead... The disciples went a different way. They said, you know, we need to do both. We need to figure out a way to do both. How do we do both the preaching and the taking care of the widows? So they had to delegate. Classic case of delegating. Acts 6. Let's look at this passage again. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends... Select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. That was how they saved Christianity. They set up a care team, an, out, an in-reach team ministry, a, uh, what would later be called deacons. In a lot of denominations, they have a, that's an actual role. There's a board of deacons, and the deacons are in charge of taking care of members. So seven people would be in charge of that, and the disciples would do nothing else but prayer and the word. That's it. Short job description. Prayer and the word. And, uh, you know, you kind of think of this and go, well, yeah, of course, they delegated jobs. The workload got more. That's obvious, but it's a harder thing to do than it looks like, especially in church life. Because as soon as you start passing off duties, what is somebody going to accuse you of being? You're lazy. You're just trying to get other people to do your job because you don't want to do any work. Or maybe you just don't care about widows. You're anti-widows. Who's anti-widows? I don't know. But that's what happens. You get, called, you get accused of being lazy, you get accused of not caring, and then they'll say, oh, prayer in the Word must be nice, only working two hours a week. I still get that. I still have people ask me, 
what do you do all week in between preaching? And I say, well, usually, you know, I prefer to just spend all my money on Bugattis and test drive them. I'm like, no, we not, my church isn't that big. But that's what happens. But I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's standard business sense. It makes sense in any business. If you're a business, you, get, you try to do every job yourself, your business will not grow beyond what you can do. Right? You delegate. If you, you run a car dealer, you start selling a few cars. Great. You don't need to start selling a lot of cars before you need to get a sales team, and then you need to get a repair team, and then you need to get the guy that sits down and sells everybody the warranty they don't need. You got to have those teams. You got to have those departments. You know? I mean, that, we, we just understand that in the rest of the world. One person can't do everything. But if it, the more we expect one person to do, the more we limit our success to what that one person can do. And it will get no bigger than they can handle. That's why you keep delegating. One of the things I know I'm always railing about is the Industrial Revolution. I know, I know everybody sits there and goes, you know, the, the, everything was great until the Industrial Revolution. Um, but you got a picture, you know, back in the 17, 1800s with, you know, people sitting at cotton mills and, you know, working in these big industrial plants and, you know, pulling levers and drilling rivets and all this kind of stuff. You know, you see those old movies of the, like, the old Ford factories, you know, and there's this Model T dangling and there's a guy. What does he do? Got his, got his, air, his pneumatic riveter. <laughs> Next, that's all he does, right? All day. Now, if he, if he works harder, he might get more rivets in. If, if, and if he works longer, more rivets will be put in. So, harder work, longer hours, translates to more productivity. If your job is repetitive and doesn't require a whole lot of thinking. Simply putting in more hours in the industrial world kind of works. And so that idea kind of got into our culture. You'd be amazed at how little our agrarian ancestors actually worked. Outside of harvest time, they really didn't work too much. I found out, like a lot of the farmers, the old Minnesota farmers, winter would come, they'd take a four-month vacation. Or they'd go logging to offset income. Imagine that, those lazy farmers. Nobody calls farmers lazy, right? Yeah, but you, you can't grow when there's snow, you know. But the, this, was industri this was the Industrial Revolution. It taught us, it, it taught us that, if you, if, you, the, that the, if you just keep pushing, 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 harder and harder, you'll get more done. That that's the answer. That's the key. And that attitude got into, our, got into everything we did. And the idea was that then if you worked less hours, you were lazy. And if you didn't accomplish as much, it's because you needed to work more. And we heaped judgment on people who gasped, wanted time with their families and hobbies and interests and vacations and leave time. Oh, they were lazy. But that's industrial thinking. It's not people thinking. It's not creative thinking. It's not spiritual thinking. It's not biblical thinking. See, I, I come to believe that there's three things in life that we have to have if we're going to be happy and productive. I mean, maybe not just three, but let's start here. One, we need time with God. 
to really have a life that is balanced between our day-to-day concerns and our spiritual life, we have to have time with God. There's different ways to schedule it. You've got to kind of figure that out yourself. But you have to make God a part of the day and a part of your life and a part of the regular rhythms of what you do. Any relationship you have, you have to spend time in communication. And you have to spend time opening yourself up. It's why when we get to these Lent services and we stand up front, I always begin the prayer with, you know, let's block our minds. Lord, help us block our minds of the concerns of the day. Let's, let's stop thinking just for a little bit about to-do lists and things we have to get done so we can focus ourselves and be inspired, to be moved, for God to give us creative ideas. Because we can't do all the work ourselves. We can't come up with every idea ourselves. But I am a big believer that through the Holy Spirit we can come up with things that we maybe wouldn't on our own. God gives us a lot of that inspiration if we're willing to stop and listen. And of course, spending time with God is just It's refreshing in and of itself. It's why even a lot of secularists nowadays are turning towards meditation apps because they're understanding that that there has to be more to life than just, just grinding. Steve Jobs, for example, uh, used to spend huge amounts of time in meditation. Large amounts of time in meditation. He then went and built meditation rooms around Apple. Shareholders laughed at him. But his earning reports were good, so then they stopped laughing at him. But, I mean, contrast that, you know, with with a guy like Elon Musk. You know, Mr. Everybody must work long hours at high intensity, or you're not good enough. You know, I'm going to have you sleep. You're going to sleep in the office now. And the San Francisco Board of Zoning said, you are not approved for sleeping in the office. You are not zoned as a hotel. You'll need to... But, I mean, contrast the two and ask how that's working for you. Apple, Twitter, whose stock is higher? Huh. How's that long hours and high intensity working for you in a creative field where you have to deal with people and come up with new ideas? I I saw a video of some guy online. He's he's saying, you know, when you look at all the successful people, they don't have work-life balance. And he went right to Musk. And I was like, yeah, Musk has no life. But again, Twitter's failing, so maybe he's not going to be the guy I'm going to use as a model. You know? It, 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 two, what do we need? We need time. It's one of those things I came to realize during COVID especially is that the downtime is as important as the work time, and the downtime is necessary for the work time that our brains can only take in so much new information. We can only process so much. We can only learn so much. And we can only create so much and do so much. And at a certain point, your brain just starts to shut down and you get overwhelmed and you can't process all this. And, 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 and at some point, you just have to stop. And you can try to double down on your work, and that'll work for a short period of time. I think I read a study that said if you double down really hard, you can be much more creative for two weeks. After that, productivity drops. Because at a certain point, if you're just trying to get more stuff done in the day, you become uncreative, you become uninspired, your work becomes rote. Or what happens when you have a million things on your to-do list? You do everything as quickly as you can. Because you, 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 don't, you need to try to squeeze all those things into the day. 
The downtime is necessary for the work time. The downtime is needed to be inspired and creative. So spending time with your family and hiking and biking and scouting and whatever it is you do, that is a part of your work. It recharges you to go back. It gives you experiences to share. It's, it's one of those things where I kind of swore when I started out in ministry that contrary to what you know, some of these people think, this isn't, this isn't the kind of job that usually is low hours. If anything, burnout it can be a chronic problem if you aren't good at saying no to things. But I said to myself early on, because I don't know if you've ever heard those kind of the sermons of the tired pastor, the tired pastor sermons, where you can tell that they're going 60 hours in the week, and then it comes Saturday afternoon, and it's, oh, yeah, i got to have a sermon. And what have they done all week? Good stuff. It's all been good church stuff, you know. But they've been doing so much stuff, they got nothing to talk about. No ideas. No inspiration. I don't have any stories to tell you about anything because I haven't done anything except be at church all day. So what do they do? They go on the internet. Let me tell you, this is an easy temptation. There's whole websites. You can subscribe. They'll send you a, a load of inspirational sermon stories every week. So, and, and you'll hear this, you can kind of tell, you know, instead of saying, hey, you know, when I was out there riding my bike, doing this, I ran into this guy, you could hear, oh, you know, there once was a guy named Timmy, and he saw a rainbow, and it was, and, and gee, he realized Jesus is good. And you go, huh, so who is Timmy? And the pastor's like, well, I don't know, it was just, I knew one guy I didn't know him. He, he died long before I was born. But he was legendary because he'd write all his sermons in the, in the summer. He'd go up to camp and spend the summer writing sermons. And then he'd hand them all to his secretary. Now, this is like in the 60s. So then her job was to then put stories into him. And so he would, he would write it, and then he'd go, story here. And so then she would run to the library and look up the stories and put the stories in. I don't know how he got away with it. He did. But it didn't do well for his health, I know that. And so I vowed to myself I was never going to be so over busy that I never had stories to tell. You can debate with yourselves how effective I am at the end of the day, but it's kind of like, let me use another example. I thought of this when I walked in on band practice. You know, when you think about like your favorite band and how they start out, how that first couple albums are really good, Right? Because what is the band doing? They're, they're living in a station wagon. They're driving around from town to town. You know, they're sleeping in the station wagon or weird hotels or, you know, scraping together money at weird gigs. They've got all these interesting experiences, right? And then they write those experiences, you know? And it makes great songs. You know, and they start out, and it's, next thing you know, it's, don't stop believing. You can do this on a train, buddy. You know, and then by the end, it's, we're raised on radio, radio good. <laughs> and then you go, wow, journey kind of went, Phew. Well, what happens? 
They start touring, and then you're touring, and you're grinding, tour, 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 and you get surrounded by handlers and managers and promoters, and then the handlers are keeping the groupies away, and so instead of meeting interesting people at three in the morning after you play your gig, now the second you're done, you're surrounded by groupies with backstage passes that the handlers carefully selected for you. You got nothing to write about anymore. The, the inspiration is gone. The creativity is gone. The experience is God works through our world. God works through those experiences and those challenges and those things that happen. If we don't have those, we have nothing to talk about. We have no inspiration. All right, what else do we need? <laughs> Got to keep moving. We need others. We can't do, you can't do it all by yourself. I mean, we know that intellectually, but emotionally, I don't think we like to give things up. Especially if you're kind of a control freak, you don't like giving things up. You worry, are they going to do it right? Are they going to screw up? Are they going to follow through? They might screw up, or they might do it really well. But either way, more will get done together than just by yourself. Life is not a factory line where you just keep turning the handle and stamping the bumper and riveting that piece of sheet metal. It doesn't work that way. And even if you could, even if you could transform your life to where all you did was work all day and you were productive, is that really the life you want? It's a weird paradox where sometimes the less we work, the more productive we are at the work we do. Do you build that time into your life for others, for God, for being in the moment? These things make our lives more productive and meaningful and valuable. It's what saved Christianity in the very beginning. It's what allowed the church in that very early days to grow, to be able to take care of each other and take care of the world out there because they delegated and trusted in the power of the Spirit to empower new people to do this and to spread it around. Amen.